What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. When putting together your gear, wrap a piece of duct tape around your water bottle. It's barely noticeable, but if another piece of gear breaks or tears, pull off your tape to make a quick patch or repair. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. Welcome back to Write That Down. I'm your host, Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com, F4W Online, and WrestlingObserver.com. And I'm back with Japan's leading wrestling writer, historian, broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Uh, welcome back to part two of our showcase series on Giant Baba. This, in this episode today, we talked about uh, Giant Baba's transition from a star wrestler into a promoter during the beginnings of All Japan when it started in 1972, 50 years ago this year. And we talked about this deep relationship that developed between All Japan, his organization, and the NWA in the U.S. And we talked about why many Japanese fans viewed uh, the NWA as the true big leagues of pro wrestling back then. Um, Next week, we'll pick up at Giant Baba's career during the early 1970s, again at the beginnings of All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Baba would eventually phase out from being the star wrestler to um, support act in the ring and behind the scenes he's the king. Uh, next week we'll also talk a lot more about Mrs. Baba, Motoko Baba, and uh, the relationships he had to many of his All Japan sons, you could call them. That's next week. Um, Nihon.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au.com.au
what I'm trying to get to is though, Giant Baba was Japan's 60s, early, you know, uh, early 60s into mid 60s economy, you know, booming and television turning into, you know, the living color. You know, from 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 black and white TV to color TV, is just you know another era begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jan Papa was there. Actually, see, Ricky Dozan wasn't all that big, big guy. You know, the, the myth says he's like 180 centimeter, but from from what I see from the photos, he must be around like five nine ish. Five eight, okay. five nine ish. He's stocky, you know, 230, 40 pounds. But uh, it was important to be shorter than American big wrestlers because Americans, like a stereotypical American big, big, big guy, like a Sharp Brothers, the, mm. you know, what, what not. Kowalski. Ricky Dozen. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so Ricky Dozen's gonna, you know, beat his. Big American with his karate chop, so it was okay to be a little shorter. But in Baba's era, he is just uh, just like uh, when the Tokyo Tower you know, being built, that the Tokyo Olympics come to Japan. Not this Tokyo Olympic, but 1964 Tokyo Olympic. There was a lot of signs and symbols of Japan's um, not a not a quite development. What's, your, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a Japan's making comeback, not just the post-war, but like uh, you become that uh, industrial and economic center of the world type of deal. Right, the giant recovery. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Giant Baba symbolized that too. And the color television, Giant Baba, the... The baseball is, you know, Yomiuri Giants always it's a big, you know, favorite, and uh, yeah, so Baba fits into that uh, the mode of the era, and uh, compared to Antonio Inoki, like he was television star, much bigger television star than Antonio Inoki. It was in always Inoki who wanted to be like Baba, right? So that's where uh, see in t- today's wrestling. Antonio Inoki seems uh, like much more influential and uh, uh, like the type of superstar you really have to study what he has done and uh, uh, his fingerprints in the industry. Uh, Muhammad Ali and Inoki, the, the, the beginning of MMA, the, that uh, all, all these things that, you know, innovating things Inoki has done. But Jan Baba was much, much bigger star than anybody in the wrestling industry in Japan. Therefore, that's probably why Inoki really had to be always conscious that, the, you know, we got to surpass Giant Baba. Yeah, he wasn't he just wasn't a wrestler. He wasn't just a baseball player. He was a, seemed like a kind of symbol or representation of a lot of different things in one, in and, one in, person. In, in time, yeah, yeah. Like you, yeah, you and I talked about just a kind of like a modern day Paul Bunyan kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like a uh, folk hero. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And also, he very elusive too. That he was like, um, he never gave like your wrestling interview when newspaper 
come and do interview, it's more like about like a people section instead of sports section mm -hmm. in newspaper. And he never really did this wrestling like, you know, who's gonna he's gonna beat somebody and all these, you know, never did this interview. He sat sat down and had a cup of tea or something and talked about his childhood, talked about his baseball days, talked about days in in, in the States all by himself, traveling around the world, then wrestling champion. So they just so happened to be wrestling champion and he, in his John Baba's, you know, media interview, the wrestling part was just one of the few things that, that they talked about, not just only wrestling, but he talked about his, you know, life. And that's how he's been, always been treated. And I guess some people can be so naturally baby face, and whereas some people just has to be in character, right? Mm -hmm. But Baba never was. He really couldn't be. He was... He was a giant. He was himself. And he was already established as a, a baseball player beforehand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But wasn't the big star baseball player, but the tallest guy and signed, uh, you know, right off high school. And the, the Yomiuri Giants signed him before there was such thing as baseball draft. That the right. baseball draft doesn't start till 65. And Baba's just right off high school. And I, in fact, he didn't even finish 12th grade. He signed with you know Giants in in the middle of his eleventh grade year. He's wow. special, a very special, special very character. Special. Nobody mm -hmm. before or after really was just like right. And always um, talked about you know how he never was able to buy clothes or shoes or sandals or or the sneakers you know the tennis shoes all the regular clothes right so. It was very special when he traveled to America and as a wrestler, of course, that uh, he finally went into department store where you can find any clothes, not any clothes, but it has to be a big man size. But uh, he was able to buy shirt, the T-shirt, the, the pants, even denim and, and uh, tennis shoes and the dress shoes and all all the way till like until the day you know all the all the way to 90s he always went to states to buy his clothes mm. or, ta or tailor-made suits always you know had his suits made um he even ordered custom made sock you know like dozens and dozens of socks you know <laughs> it's like it's all giant story huh it's a Unique experience, unique life experience. Right, right. And then also, he was, yeah, it's another four kilos, you know, it's just a, the item you need is your prince and princess love type deal that uh, Jan Shohei Baba met Motoko when he was 17 and she was only 15. And while he, in the second trip to the States, uh, he was staying with Fred Atkins in Lake Ontario. That's when Baba and Motoko was writing each other letters, love letters. Hmm. Those love letters and always in the exhibition, and you know when when they do the Baba exhibition at, at you know at the gallery or something, that those airmail, you know, old old-fashioned handwritten letters to each other. They kept it so. It's just a part of the exhibition, you know. 
Baba being 25, Motoko being 23, and they're writing each other letters, you know, decide to be together kind of thing. And also that uh, they tell a real good story. Um, um, John Baba had a single, single match, very important single match against Bruno San Martino before there was such thing as WWE or WWF, mm-hmm. of course. But uh, Vince McMahon Sr., Vincent James McMahon's WWF, WWF, I should say, wouldn't start till 1963, okay? You know, the Bruno San Martino against Barry Rogers thing. But the year before that, 62, they already had single match at Madison Square Garden, you know, Giant Baba against young Bruno San Martino. And then came back in second trip in 64. Yes, now it's WWF and Bruno San Martino is your symbol that the king of WWF and is the main event of Madison Square Garden and have another important single match against one another. Baba against Bruno San Martino, main event, Madison Square Garden. That's when Motoko uh, made his, in her fir- first trip to New York and Baba and Motoko were in the backstage of Madison Square Garden, 1964. They clearly remembered 19-year-old Vince Vincent Kennedy McMahon running around, 19-year-old Vince running around backstage of Madison Square Garden with bow tie on. Is that interesting? It's uh, funny to think. I wonder if Vince and Linda McMahon wrote each other love letters. When... Probably did, because he <laughs> served in, uh, he was in service too, right? In a short period of time. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And also college friend, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so simple. I think they are similar. similar. I guess a lot of people were like that back then. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Fumi, can I pause this for a second? I'm having a weird issue with this microphone, so I'm going to pause sure, right sure, here. Sure. Hey, they clearly remember. I ha- um, I heard this from Motoko in person. It was in 1990 when Vince McMahon came and in, in, in promoted Wrestling Summit at, at Tokyo Dome. All Japan, New Japan, and WWE worked all together as a wrestling summit and had a big show at the Tokyo Dome, remember? Very special, probably won't ever happen like that again. Oh, probably not. It mm. was main event was Stan, Stan Hansen against Hulk Hogan, very historical match. And Giant Baba and Andre the Giant made a tag team for the first time. And, uh, they went over on demolition, I believe. And there was uh, historical Randy Savage against Ten, you know, Genichiro Tenru. That was a, a very good match. Oh, one of my favorites. And, uh, what a match. Yeah, that was like uh, the chemist- chemistry thing that they never met, and but it clicked. And uh, actually, it was a uh, first Japanese wrestling match where female manager outside the ring, it really worked. Sh- Sherry Mart- Sensational Sherry Martel. She was amazing in the match. Oh, and, and the Japanese wrestling never had that, you know. Then, uh, yeah. It, it felt it like so America much. versus... So like the American pro wrestling versus Japanese pro wrestling. It really I guess felt like Tenru that. so Japanese, huh? Yeah. And Macho Man Randy Savage, of course, epitome of American professional wrestling. He's like a cartoon character just, at that point. You know, he's over the top. And oh, he and he moves so big and his gestures and, and mannerism is just like, 
it just was produced as a big audience movement that the, he moves so slow, but it's like so exaggerated everything. And you can be in nosebleed and understand him, right? And he's so colorful too. Of course, of course. And, but it somehow worked with this Tenru's such seriousness in the ring. And uh, they really complimented each other. Yeah, it was yeah. a perfect, Anyhow, the, perfect conflict. Yeah, per perfect conflict. It was. There was, it was a, a good, a, good match, though. Well, there was the story right up front. Somebody, you know, Randy Savage, is disrespecting Tenru. That's what I read going into. Oh, the, okay, okay. And you get the match. But there, there was no big promo, Mike promo, you know, you know, just talking about each other or anything like that. Just went right into the ring and started a match, and it just kind of clicked. Uh, I mean, they, they that told was the a story. type of match that, yeah, we, there was a, the, such a good match that we talk about that match to this day. Anyhow, that was around the time, that was a day, I think, that uh, I I stand right by the dugout and, and then Motoko Baba was standing right next to me, oh my gosh, but uh, we talked and uh, said she remembered 19-year-old young, young Vince McMahon running around backstage of Madison Square Garden with his bow tie. So his bow tie was the point. 19-year-old Vince McMahon running around because his father, Vince, Vince and James McMahon running the show. And uh, that's what, what Motoko remembered from that day, you know. Oh, that's Mr. McMahon's son. And never thought 30-some years later that, that he's the one running the show. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. She probably never viewed so, him like a rival. Oh, not really. That this that you know the kid with both I grew up you know to become the biggest you know biggest promoter in the world, and Motoko felt good about it, I guess. Mm. But it's always going to yeah. be a Vince Senior's son to her. I guess, yeah. Because that's a generation thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why that uh, not just. Baba and Motoko, but the group of older wrestling fans in Japan still call today's Vince, Vince McMahon Jr. <laughs> it's uh, definitely like a lost piece of the WWE story as well as the All Japan story. It's, it's... Oh, because I think uh, to, this Vince resented the, you know, Jr. part of the, his name and he never used it. He was always Vince McMahon on television and TV. Telop says that, and also he takes all the junior away, you know, that the junior name away from the wrestler. Remember, Rey Mysterio is 
actually Rey Mysterio Jr. Mm -hmm. in in Mexico. Yeah. Or when Ted DiBiase Jr. debuted, you know, no, you don't have, you don't have to be, you know, million dollar man Ted DiBiase's son. Remember him? His name was also Ted Ted DiBiase, but never used the name Junior. Dory Funk. Dory Funk was made to Hoss. Dory Funk Junior in WWF was Hoss Funk. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 seriously, Vince hates the word Junior. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe so. But I, I it explains tell, a lot about he, a person. With yeah, that, that one, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and but the kind of um, the name or being called somebody's junior, junior, it's like a, almost humiliating, right? I guess. I mean, some. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, it depends on who. I guess it depends on who. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, is it Cowboy Bob Orton in Japan was Bob Orton Junior in Japan? Mm -hmm. But he was never Bob Orton Jr. In, in WWF. He was Ace or Cowboy Bob Orton. Mm -hmm. So in WWF, you just don't use the word you Jr. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the things that they don't talk about. But uh, let's go back to Giant Baba. And uh, there was another, you know, like almost like a Paul Bunyan story, how they remember and looked at WWF and WWE and Vince Jr. and all that. But uh, yeah. Um, Baba was such that in the you know when the TV became all color and uh, Tokyo Tower being built and uh, Tokyo 1964 Tokyo Olympic came it was just uh, it's Giant Baba really you know symbolized the, the 60s you know and into 70s you know economy booming and uh, industrial and then, uh, or this high-tech Japan kind of image, Baba fits right into that. Mm -hmm. The resurgence of a Japanese market, Japanese economy in the world. Um, yeah, good times. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's been and said. Also, he's always been uh, the main guy on 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, you know, Friday night, primetime wrestling. Or oh, ever since the Ricky Dozen's era, the... the we always had Friday night, eight o'clock primetime wrestling on channel four, but uh, Giant Baba became the, the main guy of that, uh, the color, color version of that. And he was international heavyweight champion. You wonder, see, in English speaking world, does international heavyweight champion and world heavyweight champion, does that sound, which is better, world heavyweight champion and international heavyweight champion? I mean, I think we're conditioned to believe the world is, even though okay. it's pretty much, if you define both, it That's means the same you, thing. Yeah, it the same, means the same thing, yeah. But in wrestling, we've been conditioned to believe, you know, the international or, or anything with an I is less than the best. It's not the world is... I don't know. I guess. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not but official now, or know, unofficial. Yeah. I think that's just my opinion. I think it's that's what we've been, uh, you know, we've been programmed. This is how it is. That's how it's been for decades and decades. Yeah, because the world, and then also world means America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because United States heavyweight champion, U.S. champion, that's like almost like a world championship too. Because 
I think not, not quite, but the- WWF really did away with a lot of the the territorial championships or anything that was kind of sport. They just wanted everything under the one umbrella. And sure, simple. yeah, up until. 1984, you know, national expansion WWE era that uh, each and every, you know, every territory had the championship and there were a number of U.S. heavyweight championship, U.S., you know, in in Crockett's U.S. heavyweight champion, the Detroit, the Sheik's U.S. championship that uh, in, in, in late 50s into 60s, the Chicago U.S. heavyweight champion. And there was, uh, you know, the Canadian version of the U.S. title in Toronto. And Inoki even had the U.S. title in Tokyo Pro Wrestling. And uh, so United States heavyweight title meant something, you know, that uh, it's like a big title. But yes, it was Vince McMahon that made it into World Wrestling Federation champion. And didn't even say heavyweight champion. It's a WWF champion. But, but they created universal title. Now, above, you know, now it's in the universe that the universal title is above you know, WWF championship. I don't know. But the, anyhow, that the Baba was always international heavyweight champion in Japan. So I guess Japanese fans were conditioned to believe that's the most important, important title in wrestling. Okay, and the Baba was the main guy every week, Friday night, eight o'clock, and international heavyweight champion. We were, we were talking about that uh, in the Japanese wrestling calendar. You know that uh, maybe the listeners uh, have to be reminded that uh, it, it's kind of like Japanese wrestling always have had this calendar year. You have like a seven, eight tours, like. Uh, a period, you know, four to six week period that they run tours. Then, then they, they televise it in every week. But the, the each tour had this new, different set of American stars, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this tour you have Dick the Bruiser and so on. You this tour you have Gene Kaniski and so and so. You have uh, the this tour you have uh, Wilbur Snyder and Danny Hodge together or something like that. The, each and every tour, the top American, top gaijin, I should say, huh, will challenge Jan Baba's international champion on top, like a single top program. And Baba defends his international title and wins. And that was the program. And by living in Japan, spend one year in Japan with, with watching wrestling, you'll, you'll be watching six, seven, eight different tours with six, seven, eight different sets of American superstar. They rotate, you know, and uh, you ended up watching all these, you know, superstars from all the different territories, NWA territory, I should say. NWA wasn't um, one company, but it was more like uh, the membership of, you know, a bunch, you know, the clusters of a bunch of different that uh, regional territories. The wrestlers from NWA Florida, wrestlers from NWA Georgia, the Pensacola, that the wrestlers from Dallas, Texas, wrestlers from Houston, Texas, wrestlers from Tennessee, that sometimes AWA wrestlers or wrestlers from California or Vancouver, Canada, Calgary, you know, uh, or Montreal, Toronto, or East Coast America. There's just all kinds of different top stars then. It was all before WWE took over the entire world that there were 
good size American territories, like 25 of them all, all over the country. And each place sent their top stars to Japan, and Bob will be there to defend his international title. That was, uh, that's how they function, I guess, that uh, that's how they were doing. Mm. Does that make any sense? Baba would take on the foreigners. Yeah, top the best, superstar Usually foreigners. the best of whomever, like NWA, you said. It could be from like, from either Bruno San Martino before the WWF to NWA champions like Jack Briscoe and... Uh, Dory Funk, yeah. Dory Funk. Yeah, Harry Race, younger Harry Race, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, you know, they conditioned and educated Japanese fans that NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, was was the undisputed World Heavyweight Championship. And that was the biggest uh, organization of all, all the, the biggest governing body of professional wrestling and such. And uh, well, all the wrestling fans, like older than you and I in Japan, they still believe the NWA, you know, myth to this day. But uh, it was a membership thing that uh, JWA, you know, Nippon Pro Wrestling, uh, that's the same company Ricky Dozen ran when he was alive. But the, that now that in the 60s, the company was run by uh, Yoshino Sato, okay? They became, Yoshino Sato and Kokichi Endo became official member of NWA in 1968 or something, 67, 68. That's when they announced they, that's when they announced uh, NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, was the biggest organization. And it's champs. When, when Luthes came uh, came to Japan in, back in 1957 and had a title defense against Rick Dozen, they didn't really announce NWA. It was simply World Championship, right? Mm-hmm. But the, now they you know, acknowledge NWA's name and the, the first NWA World Heavyweight Champion would under that, you know, the, the name NWA, it, it was Dory Funk Jr. In 1969, Dory Funk Jr. as young, 28-year-old Dory Funk Jr. made his first trip to Japan. He had a title defense against Jan Baba and Antonio Inoki separately. And it was both 60-minute Broadway, of course. The first night, Inoki challenged, no falls. It's 60-minute. The back then, everything was, what, the uh, two out of three fall match, right? Mm. But Inoki and Dory Funk uh, fought 60-minute with no fall, no pinfall, nothing. And, and, and therefore, Dory Funk Jr. defended his title. Second night, second night, Jan Baba challenged. Woo, right? That was a big, big deal because international champion Baba challenging Dory Funk Jr. as a challenger. Dory Funk Jr.'s NWA title. Two out of four, three match, one fall each, and third fall went to that, you know, the, the 60 minute. And uh, therefore, Dory Funk kept the title. So Jap- that's when Japanese fans believed there was something above Japanese wrestling. Mm hmm. Yeah, that NWA exists as something like a, above Japanese wrestling, and the NWA understood. There was like people understood. There is something bigger and better, and that's an organization NWA, and Dory Funk is a champion, 
and uh, therefore this the, the whole idea of NW being undisputed world heavyweight champion was established in Japan. That really um, was a very important part when Inoki was actually fired from uh, JWA Nippon Pro Wrestling in December of 1971, and Baba basically quit JWA uh, spring of 72. And there was like a turmoil in company, and you know, if, after Ricky Dozen's era, you know, same um, network money from NTV Channel 4 kept coming to wrestling and they even without Ricky Dozen Japanese wrestling JWA always had this you know, network big budget and July of 1969 another network NET and now it's TV Asahi okay um, two networks two channels channel 4 and channel 10 two channels in, in network television start carrying wrestling what I'm trying to get to is that Yoshino Sato and JWA company who were running, you know, Japanese wrestling at the time, they basically double dipped <laughs> network budget, right? Double started double dipping, even mm -hmm. bigger budget. It's the same JWA, but they had Friday night wrestling with Giant Baba and 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 Monday night, nine o'clock, they had you know, same you know, same crew, JWA, but they use Antonio Inoki as the top guy. Giant Baba does not appear on Channel 10, NET, TV Asahi's show. So then, as a kid, it's the same JWA, but it's, uh, Monday night, 9 o'clock television, the Inoki's the main guy. Then uh, Friday night, 8 o'clock, Channel 4, it's Baba's the main guy. And Inoki actually appeared both channels. But they started wondering it's like, it's like is that two different kind of wrestling and then they ultimately became later on new japan and old japan it had to be you know but uh basically yoshino sato and 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 jwa company were double dipping two different network channels double budget right but wrestlers weren't making as much money and Antonio Inoki and his group of people went into their account and wanted to know what was happening in, in, in the bookkeeping. And Baba wanted to do the same. But uh, I guess something backfired and the company uh, fired 29-year-old Inoki. And Baba was part of the revolution. You know, so Baba didn't you know, want to stay there. And Channel 4 people, Nippon TV basically told Baba to leave the company and create your own wrestling company and we'll back you. Much like decades later, if you remember, when Misawa and his group left that version of All Japan to create Pro Wrestling Noir, Channel 4 went with Misawa and mm -hmm. left All Japan. Remember? So a very similar thing happened you know, a couple of decades before that. And Giant Baba ended up creating his you know initial all japan pro wrestling in summer of 1972 and channel four started you know carrying jan baba's all japan program right away and shortly after that yeah sure enough jwa nippon pro wrestling went down that's that's the history what i'm, what I'm trying to get to is though nwa myth 
in Japan was so big that basically what Baba did right away, right after he opened his All Japan Pro Wrestling, he went to St. Louis and got the NWA membership mm-hmm. right away. Yeah. So that the NWA World Heavyweight Champion will be appearing in Jan Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling from that point on. Interesting, huh? Could you say that people view the NWA like they viewed uh, MLB and baseball? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Or NFL or biggest governing body of professional wrestling. It, mm. it probably wasn't. It was a bunch of, you know, regional promoter get together once a year and, 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 and go to Las Vegas and, have, you know, spend weekend together or something, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> but... Uh, in reality, they were, you know, re- all the regional companies and territories in states for what 20, 30 year period, they shared a common world heavyweight championship. World champion, Luthes, Body Rogers, the Pat O'Connor, the, the you know, Luthes again, and Jane Kaniski, Dory Funk, Hurry Race. Uh, Jack Briscoe, these people actually traveled territory to territory to defend his war in NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And that the local champion, like a Florida heavyweight champion, that the Georgia heavyweight champion, the, uh, whatnot, they challenged NWA World Champion in the regional territory. And then in throughout the year, NWA World Heavyweight Champion will travel territory to territory. And Giant Baba's All Japan became one of the NWA territory. Therefore, you have Dory Funk, Harley Race, Jack Risco, all these people travel uh, to Japan. And when they come to Japan, you work in the, you know, NWA member, Giant Baba's All Japan. Mm-hmm. Are you following me? Yeah, and, and uh, yeah. You, we can watch these days. We can watch a lot of the older remastered matches, and you can see the. I guess if you had to say, there's an NWA style. The style that All Japan and early JWA was very similar to what you'd see in the states. At a, a you know, for, I'm talking about for heavyweight title matches with Baba or Inoki. Uh, right, you know, right. But but particularly now here with Baba, I mean, it was the NWA style of pro wrestling. Yeah, and then also he was, um, Jan Baba as a promoter, meticulous, uh, that when they have, you know, let's say Jan Baba against Jack Briscoe or something in a world title match, he actually brings some Machinik over from St. Louis to be witness of the World Heavyweight Championship, mm-hmm. the title match, you know, to make it more uh, authentic, I guess, yeah. And later it worked uh, both ways because I remember uh, all Japan would always send over a television crew. NTV would send over a big television crew to you know record Baba with somebody or Bruce. Right, when Baba they... travels to the states and have a match in yeah in in NWA territory or AWA territories and yes, and also uh, there was a two year period, uh, seventy three and seventy four I believe two years in a row the. Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro, Pro Wrestling applied for NWA membership and denied in two years in a row. Mm-hmm. And so that was the news. So that made NWA even bigger as an entity. Wow, they denied, you know, Antonio Inoki's application and they choose Barber over it, you know. And, uh, but to think about this, you know, uh, NWA had this mentality 
not really studying the market, I guess, at the time that the one territory and one company, that's it. But that's such a, that's a, that's a philosophy going against free enterprise, don't you think? Well, yeah, there's one enterprise yeah, that's, in that case. Yeah, it, it, it's not, it's, it was like more like a, such a monopoly mentality. One regional territory, one wrestling company, that's it. And then uh, uh, I guess it was all political that, uh, you know, group of promoter who, who were friends with Baba didn't want to welcome Inoki's New Japan as a member of NWA. And, and of all people, Inoki wanted to be part of NWA for that period of time. Well, you know, to invite world heavyweight champion or more bigger superstars from America. You know, at the time, Inoki's New Japan didn't have much big name American superstars in early 70s. You had Korogachi's influence, of course, and the biggest superstars for Inoki's New Japan was what the Tiger Jeet Singh, Maguire mm. Brothers, <laughs> and uh, Johnny Powers, Killer Car Crop, and, and people like that. And little bit of influence from uh, here that the Los Angeles promoter Michael Abel was just about the only NWA promoter who was helping uh, Inoki's New Japan. So they sent uh, LA, you know, wrestlers like John Tolas, you know, and New Japan created NWA North American tag team championship in Inoki and Sakaguchi traveled to states and had a match at the Olympic Auditorium and they crowned uh, NWA North American tag team champion uh, Johnny Powers and younger Pat Patterson together. The reason Pat Patterson was involved was that Inoki and Pat Patterson friends from Oregon and San Francisco days, you know, but uh, Inoki had very limited help from all the promoters from the states, but because because NWA at the time, you know, late, uh, early 70s NWA promoters mentality, they did not know the market of Japan. There were two kings in Japanese wrestling, Baba and Inoki. But for older generation promoters, Baba was the only important promoter in Japan. Does that make sense? Because before Baba, it was just one promoter. It was Ricky Dozan. Right, right. Therefore, basically monopoly. You know, they all go against your... You know, free enterprise, though, don't you think? But then but it, again, wrestling promoter always had this mental, you know, monopoly mentality. Well, I think what it also did, and this is more of an observation and a benefit to, you know, in retrospect, it's better for the fans. But what happened was, it seems like all Japan was where you would see the big stars from around the world. Whereas New Japan became less of, uh, because they didn't have the access to the big stars, they and Inoki really relied more on spectacle, bringing in uh, international fighters or, or gimmicks right. like oh, Tiger And ultimately that led to the creation of IWGP concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, the... it developed in a different way. Yeah. Oh, for better or worse. Different. It, it divided wrestling fans in Japan too, though, because people, some people believed in Giant Baba's establishment in the connection with America. That is your legitimate lineage from wrestling business and wrestling history. That this, you know, NWA, the biggest governing body of professional wrestling, choose Giant Baba as a promoter and represent Japan. 
Whereas Inoki, like a one-man show superstar on, on the other channel, remember? So yeah, so we always had this two, it's like almost like a two different philosophy, right? If you watch Giant Baba, this is like, like, like you said, like MLB or NFL, you know, all, all these superstars come to Giant Baba, whereas Antonio Inoki didn't have any American superstars. Therefore you had to create your own program. But Inoki was one man superstar on that television too. So it works both way, I guess. But the Giant Baba, yes, was the, what a yeah, superstar wrestler, but uh, also was viewed as like promoter, like a faithful promoter. Yeah. So when he started promoting, when he started getting more serious about that role, how was it like early on? And and when exactly was it? Was it in the middle or or I guess I guess sixty nine. Uh. Altogether, when he started 70, doing that with J in '72 is when everything kicked up. But was he doing any of the promotions or booking um, WWE? I guess he had this role, and he was already a board, you know, board director, uh, board member of JWA uh, at the time. But uh, Baba had all the seniors, you know, Yoshino Sato, the Kokichi Endo, the uh, Michiya Yoshimura. That, that they were still. Uh, like promoting and running the company and Baba was still in his early 30s and he was viewed as active superstar although he was already in the office but the, the, the reason he wanted to create and start All Japan is though, was that uh, he did not want to fire his older you know uh, the, the senpais how's that mm -hmm. yeah the seniors and, uh, Seniors, yeah, and Channel Four wanted to back Giant Baba as new establishment, and leave. Yeah, why don't you leave JWA and create your own company and start the company, and then in the Channel Four, NTV, Nippon Television will always back you, and that's he happily left the company, mm -hmm. and sure enough, JWA went down quickly, and that was a switch of the power. But he didn't do that within JWA. He left the company and really completely started the new company. Although when JWA company went down, all the like eight to 10 wrestlers, they were still with JWA. Baba had to take them, basically. Like inherit them. Yeah, the Baba absorb them. Baba, Baba, the yeah, but Jan Baba wasn't completely happy because because he really defeated the whole purpose of leaving, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Baba didn't really use these ex JWA wrestler on top. You know, the Kintaro Oki, the Umanosuke Ueda, the Great Kojika, the all these people he, he didn't want to use on top. And eventually, Kintaro Oki left and went back to South Korea and, and started his own company. And Umanosuke Ueda uh, went back to States and you know that's where he lived. And uh, Greg Kojika uh, went back to Amarillo, Texas for a while and then became Kang Hu Lee and had his you know run. And uh, eventually all these people came back and joined again. But uh, yeah, Jan Powell wanted to run his company with his people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, then that 70, end of 72 was the year that uh, Munich Olympic wrestling representative that J Tomomi Tsuruta, Jumbo Tsuruta as a golden rookie, he started. 
Mm. That, yeah, Jumbo and his generation was the type of wrestlers the Baba wanted to promote, not the you know old leftover guys from JWA. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? New guys, uh, proven athletes like Baba himself. Baba was a proven athlete. Tommy Suruda, yeah. Jumbo Suruda was a, a proven athlete and got his training in the States from the yeah. best in the I NWA. Mean, right out of college, right out of Munich 72 Olympic. I mean, superstar rookie from the mm-hmm. from the day one. And Giant Baba and Jumbo Suruda, the matches, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the and prince. All, yeah. Yeah, he's a prince. And also Jumbo, or I should say you know, young Tommy Suruta was sent to Amarillo, Texas before his debut in Japan. He wasn't even trained that much in old Japan dojo. He was sent right to Dory Funk, you know, Funk family place in Amarillo. And that's where he started. Yeah. You can see in his wrestling, he doesn't wrestle like a typical Japanese type wrestler. You could say he's totally he different. Works like from, he, <laughs> yeah. he, yeah. he works like a Dory Funk. He works like a big uh, NWA monster type. He was yeah, always a perfect also, match for Brody. Baba, oh, naturally, he wanted to have somebody tall, big, heavyweight wrestler in his company. And can move. And can oh, throw drop oh, kicks. Su- or... Super athlete. Mm. And yeah, it's a little sidetracked. But when Jumbo, we talked about it before, but when Jumbo, as a rookie, was sent to Amarillo, Texas, another rookie he became friends with in Amarillo territory at the time, and you know, late '72 into early '73 was very young Stan Hansen. Interesting history, huh? Mm. And wasn't Tenru also around at that uh, time? Uh, not, not another three years. Okay. Tenru wouldn't start until '76. But he's another example of what Baba would want, right? Yeah, yeah, like a former, former... star sumo wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he didn't even cut the sumo hair off uh, you know when he went to Amarillo Texas and he st- still had the sumo hair dude like a samurai <laughs> isn't that interesting he went to states and debuted and Tenru's 76 debut um, uh, opponent in America in Amarillo was rookie Ted DiBiase uh, isn't wow. that interesting I mean right oh, out of really college came yeah, up together yeah. it's funny Different yeah, path, but that but... that that really helped Baba's another myth, legacy, legend of like a, your rightful heritage of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and strong connection with America. Wrestling business came from America, right? And, uh, and reading oriented Japanese wrestling fan really read these all these stories, or including myself. But you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Jumbo's connection. Uh, in his rookie year, he had spent in, in, in Amarillo, Texas. And Dory Funk, Terry Funk, and late Dory Funk Sr., they all became so close figure to Japanese wrestling fans. They're like a sister territory to all Japan fans. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like the, just the, the famous the stars of the time, the famous mm-hmm. uh, outsider stars that uh, were regulars as well. And also, up until then, Japanese babyface against American heels, you know, the, the, the Japanese wrestling format. But the Baba was able to create babyface Americans. Yeah. Does the that funks. make sense? The Funks are the yeah. best yeah. example. Oh, be, oh, before Funks, Dick Byer, the Destroyer, 
intelligent, oh, sensational destroyer who was the biggest rival of Ricky Dawson and the bad guy at the time. And he made figure four leg locks famous in Japan, right? Mm. Then uh, when Baba's company started, Dick Buyer, the destroyer, came in and they walked the tour. And there was a program that the, if he lost this match against single match against Giant Baba, that the, he will join the company. Then, mm. then uh, Dick Buyer, of course, lost the you know, match to Giant Baba. And following spring, Dick Buyer brought his entire family, you know, the, the two sons, one daughter, and his wife, the whole family moved to Japan and they lived in Japan for the for next seven, eight years. Mm. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was a the biggest story that uh, not just match or two, but Destroyer, Dick Buyer moved his whole family and became like an all Japan member and he his family lived in Japan and spoke the language. He went to school here. Japanese just, resident. Was, ah, that was the biggest, I mean, the, the, something Inoki couldn't do. You know what I'm saying? Mm, he got, uh, beyond wrestling, he became very popular in pop culture. The oh, Destroyer? Oh, yeah. Really, really famous. Late night game shows, the, the variety shows. You know, you lived in Japan. It's just like... Records, variety, yeah, uh, variety game show heaven, huh? You know, yeah, and he, and he's always on there singing in Japanese and doing silly things, and yeah, and then he spoke the language too. You know, he picked up the language, not as good as his, you know, his kids, but uh, yeah, and became a cultural icon in Japan. So he had he was being veteran that uh, that was like a basically last big run as a professional wrestler but he chose japan to stay here and he was part of early old japan's you know big roster yeah baba and destroyer became tag team yeah it was a, it's a really, really big thing so these are the type of thing promoter you know giant baba was producing and also at the same time that uh, uh very beginning of old japan pro wrestling that uh Family of Ricky Dozen was in, in the press conference, and that the Ricky Dozen's the, the widow uh, brought this Ricky Dozen's old international heavyweight title belt, the physical belt, and gave it to Baba. Use that. Then the following year, it became PWF heavyweight title. Mm -hmm. All these rightful historical, you know, that the uh, the physical championship belt too, but the, all the lineage image was there with Jan Baba. I think yeah. that is, it, see, it feels like that's a big part of uh, his image as a whole is that he was the, he protected the, all the traditions and uh, the past, everything that came before he tried to hold it together. And uh, yeah, yeah, the lineage and, and, and keep yeah, Ricky Dawson's widow, the Keiko san came, that was a big thing. And he presented the, this old antique belt that uh, the belt was created, that uh, designed uh, after Luthes's belt. If you know the metal, you know, gold metal belts, mm -hmm. very the, tiny the, one, yeah, kind of tiny one for today's standards, yes, <laughs> but that the very the image of what world heavyweight champion should be. Then we call it Luthet's belt, but mm. Ricky Dawson loved it so much. But he he, so he made his championship belt look just like Luthet's belt, right? 
And that was at Rikidozen's home. And Rikidozen's widow Keiko-san brought that physical belt to Baba and presented. So therefore, forget JWA, right? I mean, all Baba's old Japan became part of Rikidozen family too at the same time. It's, just, it's all these right things about historical, almost conservative, but uh, as a kid, I really believed every single bit of all these little historical items. Yeah. Oh, and also, you, well, you also mentioned the connections to Rikidozen, but also his sons would go on to all right, Japan. Right, right. The older son, uh, that Yoshihiro Momota became ring announcer first, then became wrestler. And Momota Mitsuo, that uh, the younger son of Rick Dozan, he still worked to, to this day, but uh, yeah, he, right. he joined. Yeah, right, right. Then uh, Chikara, his son, that means grandson of Rick Dozan, he worked as a wrestler now, and then he, he's, they're still here. But uh, yeah, right. Uh, two sons of Rick Dozan joined Oja, Baba's Old Japan real early. So that helped Baba's image too, right? That is the old Japan is the right company. Mm -hmm. The old, blood is yeah. connected to uh, from JWA to all Japan and the new Japan is something different. And Ricky does on to Baba, right? Right, right. Like so, uh, uh, it's like Shakespeare these, or something like the, the yeah, all these family. image, all these, the Baba always kept that they made sure that the, that the, all the right connection from America is it's all Baba's. And the Ricky Dozen heritage and all the lineage and historical championship belt to all these things, physical belt too. Uh, it's all Babas. And, and, and then Channel 4, the Ricky Dozen's network, right? That uh, Friday night, 8 o'clock, that, that was Baba. But the, uh, when JWA went down, that Giant uh, uh, Baba started his All Japan Pro Wrestling, it was Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Because Nippon TV Channel 4, you know, dropped the Friday night program before JWA went down. And what happened at the later on in 73 was that TV Asahi Channel 10 took that image and started running their show on Friday night, 8 o'clock for Inoki. So they took the image of like a Japanese wrestling fans is conditioned to watch Friday night, every Friday night, eight o'clock wrestling. The channel has, you know, switched from new uh, that the Nippon TV to TV Asahi, but TV Asahi NET at the time was so smart that the, when Inoki and Sakaguchi joined and made New Japan bigger company, that the, they took the eight o'clock Friday night time slot altogether too. Therefore, they took that, you know, Friday night eight o'clock image. Succ yeah, succeeded. That's another you know interesting part of that uh, television history in wrestling in in Japan. Very interesting because a lot of the time when the company had a deal with the television company, they were successful. Meaning like it, a network budget, yeah, yeah, network budget, yeah, because they were you know that uh, it's estimated though, but uh, in 1973 money, you know, they were paying like a 200 grand a week, um, you know, to each, you know, to Baba's company. And that's like, that's like 800,000 a month. Uh, it's like almost like a 10 million a year. Yeah, it was fresh content every week. Yeah, I mean, for, like $10, for million, $10 million annual budget. 
you know, that uh, Channel 4 is preparing big for the company. Yeah, that's how you run big, you know, big company. And that's why you had this, every tour you have this all, this top expensive talents from all over territory from America. Yeah. And on top of that, Baba and his wife, Motoko Baba, they already had quite a bit of money. It's, <laughs> yeah, they're like already in a financial run. position. Yeah, I mean, they're... And had a condominium in, in Hawaii, of course. So and they had everything. Tours, yeah, between tours. Oh, king and queen. King and queen, exactly. Yeah. They had everything. And between tours, they get on the plane and go to their, their condominiums in Hawaii and, and take weeks off. Oh, wow. In Hawaii, and he appointed Lord James Blair's as a head of PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation, right? Well, PWF never really ran wrestling shows, but they needed establishment that the John Bob probably didn't want to call this his new heavyweight championship, uh, All Japan Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm -hmm. He needed like some recognizable organization's name. Therefore, Pacific Wrestling Federation, PWF, and that the president was Lord James Blair's from, from Hawaii. So I, including other kids, you know, back then as wrestling fans, we believed it, right? There's a new organization called PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation. It's in Hawaii, and they recognize Jan Baba's champion, right? And he used the physical Ricky Dawson belt for that title. All these little things and all these, uh, you know, reading-oriented Japanese fans really learn these little details and believe it. Yeah. Lord Blair's uh, stuck with that role for decades after decades, that. Decades, uh, next 30 years of it, right? He would always, before the big, uh, what would turn Title into match, Triple Crown later. That, yeah, off, yeah. He would yeah. always be in the front row. Any, any All Japan, you anybody out there wants to watch if you look at from 90s or the old 80s James Blair's from Hawaii yeah he's usually and also he was an opponent of on old Ricky Dozens you know mm -hmm. yeah dating back so those little details are very important in wrestling yeah the connections yeah yeah well the heritage and uh yeah yeah so uh, Baba really cherished these things yeah and also he never really had falling out with any promoters or wrestlers for that matter yeah he's has a famous reputation everybody he's loved worldwide he's loved within the industry and uh, as a promoter yeah what was so interesting is though well the company wasn't all that big actually it was ran by baba and mrs baba and just 10 other guys whereas inoki's old japan company always had like 100 over 100 employees in the company, but the Baba's company always kept it small, but had strong connections. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was how they ran wrestling. That also meant really close to the society though. Mm -hmm. it, it was really hard to go in. And, and if once you're in, you're in, you're not in, you're not in kind of thing. Tighten it in the backstage area. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to be Mrs. Baba's favorite. That's why people kissed up a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe in our next episode, we'll probably have to talk more about Mrs. Baba because... Was, yeah, because, I mean, we'll talk more about the 70s next time, but 
Baba as a wrestler started to wind down and, and not take, he, he wasn't a, a main event character from, you know, the eighties on He He was right. Right. He was uh, taking more of a backseat. He was involved of course. And, but it was more of on a, like a, a tag team promoter basis. and producer. Yeah. Promoter and producer. Yeah. Big one ultimate one saw booker. He decides mm -hmm. who goes over who, who's not, you know, really the king. Of the really the world. king really the king and what was interesting is though that uh, such an old-fashioned promoter right so kind of like your you know some machinic and Vern Gagne that the old-fashioned promoters that the, they did not have written contract picked mm -hmm. up a phone phone call and Dory Funk Jr. and Baba will talk over the phone and book American wrestlers they come in but they didn't really sign contracts, just handshake, mm -hmm. but they still give you a visa. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, your character was a really important part of all of this. When you were going over there, there was a lot of trust involved because there was really no yeah, other so way. We have to, yeah, when we talk about giant Baba, we have to talk about wrestler giant Baba, but we also have to talk about promoter giant Baba. Mm -hmm. It is yeah. very we're different. Mainly very talking different. about promoter giant Baba today. Yeah. And it's it's different from Inoki, who was also a wrestler and promoter, but his he did it a different way. Baba became uh, kind of... that's why he, Antonio Inoki needed big lieutenant Seiji mm. Sakaguchi. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Baba was he he had Mrs. a specific Baba. idea. He had Mrs. Baba to do the dirty work, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But what was interesting though, their marriage was not acknowledged until 1982 or so. Hmm. Isn't Any reason? Oh, I guess Mrs. Baba's, you know, that that the rich, you know, family in Kobe did not acknowledge it. Hmm. Baseball player Shohei Baba, fine, but not professional wrestling giant Baba. Hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit of a stigma in professional wrestling in Japan, I guess. And maybe more back then too, huh? Yeah, but we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, we'll talk about that and Mrs. Baba and, and more of the, the younger generation that comes from the, the late 70s and 80s. All right, so we can go into mid mid to late 70s next time. <laughs> mid to late 70s. Slowly. That sounds good. But we, at the same time, we're doing like, we study Japanese wrestling history though. Yeah, and the other side, of, uh, you know, not New Japan, but uh, All Japan, with it's a little bit harder to... Uh, access you know watching things in order or, or having access to it in general oh, like, because... like in the early 80s into mid 80s like a younger you know uh reporter like myself you know was like the old japan backstage was such an uncomfortable place to be we need <laughs> to hear more stories about that yeah, because too. mrs baba you know plays favorite you know what i mean ah okay yeah yeah i wasn't <laughs> oh, you know I, that, so, that'll be for next time for all right sure. sounds good okay so where can we find you on uh, social um, media on twitter fumihiko dayo f-u-m-i-h-i-k-o-d-a-y-o fumihiko dayo on twitter or just for me site on on facebook i'm also on instagram as fumisaito2001 but i'm not there that much <laughs> And uh, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Uh, that's it for now. That was part two. Join us next week for part three. Until next time, Fumi. So long from Tokyo.
Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.